I was asked to talk about legal issues in composing here, or legal issues in software engineering. I think I've done this uh, lecture a couple of times in the past in the same course. At least I think I changed one slide, or maybe two. My background is such that uh, <clears throat> back in the last century, I graduated from University of Helsinki Law School. I tried to study also in the uh, computer science faculty in the University of Helsinki. I never graduated from there. I came here in this university, the PhD, five years ago. I've been working here in this university in different positions, sometimes more and sometimes less for the last 10 years. I also run my own company, so I've, I've had a law firm. Uh, right now I'm not active in that firm. Then I've had software companies. Right now I'm the CEO of one software company. The current company is called Tuxera, if you want to know about it. And we hire, by the way, at the moment. Not lawyers, <clears throat> engineers and salespeople. It's because of my background that I've done some legal stuff. Uh, not just studied law lectures here. I've also litigated legal cases in the Finnish courts. In the general area of technology law, copyright cases, patent cases, all sort of cases, uh, and done agreements for software companies. I'm also giving this lecture here. I mainly speak uh, with my personal experiences in this in this classes these days. I used to have more academic approach in the past, but I think these slides are still. Quite theoretical, there's less pictures than I usually have these days. If you have any questions, just stop and make make a question and I'll try to answer them. First some basic stuff about law studies in this university. I understand one of the purposes of this lecture is to give you some kind of introduction, not just the legal issues in software engineering and uh, computing in general, but also the opportunity to study them in this university. Uh, yeah, I guess the university name has changed. Or oh, do you still use the CKK? Maybe it's still used somewhere. Uh, but the courses, I think, still exist without, without listed here. There are actually several courses given by the Sober IT. Although I, I don't know, does the Sober IT still exist? There's some organizational changes ongoing at the moment. I, I'm not very good in university bureaucracy. So, uh, that's been in, in full term, this kind of basic course in uh, computer law or introduction to uh, legal issues in computing or however you call it. Uh, but that course has been in Finnish. Maybe next year it's in English. I don't know the details. There's been also a seminar. You write a 15 page. Uh, short paper and then present it and somebody opposes you. I don't recall the study credit. Maybe this computer law course, basic course, is like four study credits and the seminar maybe three. There's another course called e-commerce law. That may be a bit more like 
six credits maybe. Uh, now we are having at the moment this uh, law in information society. And this is course e-commerce law and law in information society are, are lectures in English. And law in information society is six credits. You can go to the course web pages to know more about them, of course. They are in this uh, online system. And there's also a seminar this spring. And there's been this other department called Economic Law, which is in the main building of this university. Uh, they have offered legal courses, but right now, I think the organizational changes here mean that this will be joined together or something will happen maybe by the fall. But there will be courses, of course. Perhaps more next year on offered combined between different departments and professors of this other university. Uh, here's some structure for this lecture. I guess the main idea is to have a have something change in your mindset if you thought before you came in this class legal issues are something that are alien to you. You don't need to know about legal issues. They're just changing us, right? I want to change that mindset. It doesn't work today. If you want to work as a software engineer in small company or big company, you have to know about legal issues, especially intellectual property right issues. I've been doing also like uh, lectures in, in Nokia. They have a system in, in startup context you understand that you have to know everything about it, what a company does legal issues, business issues, and so on, not just engineering. But also the big company like Nokia, guys who are doing very technical work, and if they go up in the ranks in the hierarchies, they become managers at some point of their career, they start to educate these people in legal issues. At the time they become managers, from engineers to managers. They need to know everything about intellectual property. Or maybe not everything, but enough to be aware of intellectual property issues and not to do any mistakes for Nokia. And I have some actual little content here. What is software law in 20 minutes or so? And what is the last point? Yeah, how can, how can the law be used? So first I review what is in the law books, what kind of laws exist, and, uh, and how these laws are used in, in practicing contracts and other arrangements. But this is the main point of the, this particular lecture. Why does the law sometimes matter? Let's start from this, this verse. Who knows what is new GPL? What is it? What is it? <laughs> it is a license or open source software. What does that mean? It's an open source license, free software license. Well, it means that you can basically use anything under the license for free, but uh, if you build those books on that, you can do it with that. So, what does this mean? Who is using? GNU GPL software today. 
Everyone is using new C++ software today, even if you don't know it. Here's a paragraph from GNU GPL, written 20 years ago. That's the basic idea of this license. Okay. If the program comes with this license like Linux does, it's free of charge, right? There are no legal issues. You don't have to pay, you don't have to care. You get the source code, you can do anything you want with it, right? At least some people think like that. Especially in, uh, I'm not going to name any countries here, but in, in some place, some areas of the world, if people get it, get it in their hands, they just go on and don't read about this. And if they read it, they read it in a way that it's free. That's the main point for many people. But that's actually not the point of this license. It's free to some extent. This is an architectural picture. I think I took it from uh, Google's website. It's Android, uh, some kind of technical architecture stack or whatever. You know, you all know what is an Android. I'm alien from space. This Google's Linux distribution. The point is that they have open source, open source in all all places of, of the operating system today. And most of that open source is licensed with GNU GPL license. And now there are many people who think that it's open source, there are no legal issues, it's free of charge. Let's just get ahead with that software. We get it from the internet, forget about the rest, we can use it, right? Here's an Android phone. So you want to build a new mobile phone. What do you do? You buy the hardware from China. You download Android from Google's website. You put it together and start selling. As simple as that. Can you do it? Is there any obstacle that you wouldn't start a new company today? and do exactly that. Source somewhere in China a company which manufactures you the board, download the software from Google's website and start selling it as your phone. Is there anything you should worry about? Who owns that phone? Does this phone have intellectual property? What do you think? Whose intellectual property you have in that phone? Is it the Chinese company that manufactured the hardware? Is it the open source people? Who owns that phone? It's a crucial question. What intellectual property you have in that phone? Anybody, guess something. What intellectual property you have there? There's the phone. An open source phone. And I'm asking who owns it. Google owns the phone. Who said that? Do you agree? Google owns it. Google owns the platform, but HTC owns the phone. HTC owns the phone. I don't know. Google owns the platform. Is this the correct answer? 
what intellectual property they own? What does HTC own? What, what is the right they own in, in this hardware? All right, what is intellectual property? Anybody? What is intellectual property? What is included in intellectual property? Who knows? The right to sell something. Right to sell something. A general right to sell. So if I want to, like, uh, put a style over there and start selling sausages, I have to have intellectual property from somebody. No, it's not like that. What is intellectual property? Who has heard about patents? Yes. Yeah, new idea. New idea. That is intellectual property. Who agrees? You agree? New, uh, new idea is intellectual property. It's like this. Okay. Yeah, this is the correct, uh, incorrect answer. It's not like that. An idea is not intellectual property. Ideas can be stolen. You don't have any right for your ideas. Yeah, that's the short answer. So, anybody heard of patents? Who has heard of patents? I have heard of patents. Patents are intellectual property. Maybe you don't think it's a good answer. It's uh, giving another concept as an answer to one concept. The intellectual property is like a naming convention for a number of rights. Patents are one of them. What other rights are included in the intellectual property besides patents? Logo. Copyright. That's correct. Logo is not correct. Logo is not an intellectual property right. But the trademark is. Okay? And there are design rights. There's actually a number of different rights. I don't even remember all those. But the most important ones are patents, copyrights, trademarks, and design rights. So those are the four most important rights. And there are different kind of uh, legal rules on, on confidential information, which is sometimes considered also as intellectual property rights. So intellectual property rights, I will ask the question again. Who owns that phone? And the wrong answer is HTC, and the wrong answer is Google. Those companies do not own that phone. They don't own the IP in the phone. They may own some tiny part of the IP. But there's a lot of IP, and I mean intellectual property in that phone, not owned by Google, not owned by HTC. Who wants to guess who owns that phone? Who owns the IP, intellectual property in that phone? Yes. Who are they? So what intellectual property you have in that phone? Let's start from hardware. Who owns the hardware? What intellectual property you have in the hardware? Nokia may, may be the biggest single owner of, of IP in the hardware of that phone. 
Nokia has tons of patents in mobile phone technology. I think that the single biggest owner of patent rights in the hardware of that device. Every device sold by HTC, they may pay some royalty to Nokia. I don't know the commercial arrangement, of course, but uh, Nokia is one of the biggest donors. There's a lot of different kind of pie pictures. You can see them that who owns the patents in, in GSM and 3G and other technological standards. But there's tons of patents in the hardware, in, the, in this communicator device. Okay, that's just one part. What about the software? Who owns the software? It's Android Linux. Are there patents in Android Linux? Are there copyrights in, in Linux? Copyright? Anybody? What intellectual property you have in Linux and who owns it? What do you think of this answer? The open source community owns Linux, it's governed by GPL, it's free of charge to everyone. Is this the correct answer? Who thinks it's the correct answer? Nobody thinks it's the correct answer. Somebody thinks, you think so. So what do the other people think here? Who owns Linux? Does Linux toolbox own Linux? Yes. Who owns Okay, you can approach it that, but there's copyright, okay? Copyright is the software source code and the binaries which are in, in Linux and the, somebody owns those copyrights, they are individual developers, however, they use these open source licenses so, so you don't have to pay for them. And that's actually not problematic. The problematic part typically today in uh, software is also patent because you, you may even not know what are the companies that don't know patents for, for Linux. And actually today, a company like HTC, when they put this phone out, they will pay for patents in Linux or the operating system. They just don't know about it, all the patent agreements they have done. Different ways. What about the interface, user interface? Who owns that? What do you think? Who has an iPhone? I do. I think it's the next slide here. This was in the news just a week or two ago. One of the slides I added to this presentation this morning. Apple used HTC for patent infringement. Why? Steve Jobs says something. <laughs> we can sit by and watch competitors steal our patented inventions, or we can do something about it. We've decided to do something about it. We think competition is healthy, but competitors should create their own original technology, not still ours. What the hell? These guys are doing a Linux phone. Is, is Apple owning Linux? Is Apple owning these patterns in the hardware? No. But I think they claim to own the interface. Apple says they own the interface, and they claim some patterns here. I think they also have design rights on the interface. They have registered the tons of different 
designs that uh, basically cover every different icon and logo and screen in iPhone and all the functionality how iPhone interface functions. Yeah, they claim to own that. And there's just one company in, in the market. What is going to happen in that case? What do you think? What is the outcome? Yeah, somebody will pay to some other company. Who pays to whom? HTC pays something to Apple. Maybe. Yeah, you know, you don't know about it. I don't know either. But anyway, Apple used HTC for patent infringement. All right. Who wants that one? Who uses that one? It's open office uh, drawing program or something. Who uses that program? Has somebody? Who uses open office? Somebody uses open office. Okay. Again, it's free of charge, right? Open, owned by the community. Free of charge. Community owns it. No problem. Once you start a company, you start to sell open office. And you, you become very successful. Do you think it's okay? Is somebody coming in the morning hours behind your door, knock and say, hey, I own your software. Who will come after you if you start selling open office and become successful? Microsoft. Why? They haven't coded that one. Design right. Where do you see design right? They are such the icons. But they look the same as in, in Microsoft software, right? Indeed. So it's a copy. Cheap copyright. Somebody has stolen this from Microsoft. What do you think? It is stolen. Yeah, I think it is stolen. At least Bill Gates and Steve Ballmer have said it is stolen. So it was the correct answer, yes. Microsoft at least claims they own office productivity software. Uh, Jonathan Schwartz was the chief executive of Sun Microsystems which has been developing this open office or sponsoring its development. This is from his blog a few weeks ago. So we sat down in Sun Microsystem offices. Microsoft friends came and said, what's that? Microsoft owns the office productivity market and our patents read all over open office. So what do you say? We are happy to get you under license. That was code for we'll go away if you pay us a royalty for every download. Yeah. But it's good to see that's a solution. Let's do a deal. And actually, I think this is the right approach to these legal issues. You should not fear of patents. You should not fear of intellectual property, lawsuits, and 
whatever is coming up. It's just business. The rules of business are just, they're just like this in software business when you become successful. If you're an unknown little company or developer, you don't have to care. But when you become successful, you start selling something in the international market, this is how it goes. Of course, the lesson is that you have to know about intellectual property and you have to be aware of it. You have to acquire your own intellectual property. You have to be prepared to answer this kind of claims by some big player who one day comes to your office. This is a bit dated quote, but I think there's some uh, inside in that one. Someday for all countries that are entering the World Trade Organization, somebody will come and, what is it, look for money owing to the right for that intellectual property. Yeah. Not, not even in China, they are no longer like free. They can't escape. The World Trade Organization, World Trade System, that's how it operates. Uh, here's just one example where the system has gone in the extreme. There are tons of these so-called funny patterns. <clears throat> oh, this is just one example, I think. A year or two ago, somebody brought this up. That, hey, somebody has patented paying for open source volunteers even. And actually, one of the first replies you, you give if somebody has patent royalties from you is that uh, this patent is not valid. It's invalid. Go away. That is always your first argument. Yeah, it just shows that the number of patents these companies have applied, the biggest suppliers, is increasing all the time. There's, there are tons of patents out there. Many of them of low quality. That doesn't change the fact that there are also valid patents. Uh, as an example of a valid patent, European Patent Office, which is located in Munich, in Germany, they, uh, they can grant patents which are European-wide. Uh, hey, before I get to this fact, I ask you the question. Can you patent software in Europe? What do you think? Have you heard anything about it? Software patenting in Europe. In the United States, you can patent software, right? What about Europe? Can you patent software in Europe? No. Who said you that? You heard it somewhere. If you cannot patent software in Europe, what do you think? If he heard it right. Has somebody else heard the same thing? Does somebody know, can you patent software in Europe? Do you remember where you heard that from? You cannot patent algorithms in Europe. What do you think? 
any other opinion, any other rumor. Here's one opinion, one rumor, and that's everything. You have read about that ending somewhere. What do you think? I had a meeting this morning with one lady from one of the leading patent offices in Helsinki called Colster. That's a patent office. They're patent agents. They do software patenting here in Finland every day to a lot of companies. And the thing I was saying is that uh, there is something about MP3 licensing. This European patent office, which is located in Munich, Germany, and grants patents which are European-wide, I think just two or three years ago, they gave some kind of award for Fraunhofer Institute, the German research institution, which patented MP3 algorithm, I think in late 1980s, in Europe. Some kind of achievement award that this is a great patent. This is something that is definitely patentable. So the rumor was wrong. But it is true that there's a lot of opposition for patenting, but this is totally political. And the opposition is very visible online. If your, your word view is limited to Google and what you read on the internet, you get a biased view of the world. Because those people who actively oppose software patents, they are also active on the internet. So it looks bigger than it is. But yes, there's strong political opposition. The arguments are very good. Actually, I have been, like in my past, in Brussels and the Finnish parliament, opposing software patents. I have represented those guys and organizations. I said, software patents are not good, blah, 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 blah. There's tons of arguments for it. But in real world, that's just political discussion, and it doesn't change anything. That war has been lost already. That's my opinion, and I, I no longer participate in that discussion. I'll just tell you the facts. <clears throat> and the fact is that MP3 licensing program is ongoing, and you have to pay for those patents as well if you want to build MP3, I think, encoder and sell it as a software package. And there you have pricing even. Yeah. You have to pay. Sorry. Uh, can you decide about the pricing yourself? Or is it decided by someone else? I mean... Okay, you are a software developer. You want to develop a new software which uses MP3, competitor to iTunes or something. Yeah. You would like to decide how much you pay for that patent. No, actually, uh, if I was uh, one who, who made that, okay. uh, could I decide how... Ah, okay, you mean that there's a, there's a government who says how much you can charge for a patent? Yeah, well, I don't know. I was asking that. Okay. What do you think? If you have a patent, is government going to say how much you can charge? Is there some table somewhere? Probably not. Hmm. I haven't seen that table either. Yeah, I, I think in a system called socialism, you have those tables, but uh, in a so-called market economy, you don't have those tables. If you have a patent, you can charge as much as you want for it. And some companies even decide the patent stuff and not license it. Now, that's a problem. 
Okay, but this is actually a good point which you raised because then there are this is a, like a one discussion on, on, on software patenting, which I think has still a lot of relevance in, in political sense as well, and it's patents on standards. What if some something becomes very basic and standardized and everybody has to use that? So should the government put some limits if there's some very basic technology everybody has to use and somebody has patented it for the price of that patent? Uh, maybe a better context is not software, but some basic medicine, like HIV medicine uh, in Africa. That has been a context of a lot of discussion that uh, it's big pharmaceuticals. The government ha governments have actually, actually like, put some limits on the pricing of medicine in, in developing world for some medicine patents. But yes, there are some cases where the government puts the limits when some technology is very, very basic and standard. But in general, in the context of software, this is uh, extremely exceptional, and I don't know any good cases where the government would have set any limits. And patterns like MP3, even if it's very standard and basic, it's still like entertainment. It's not just listening to music. And there are alternatives. <clears throat> you can use a different format if you don't want, want to pay for that pattern. Nobody is saying to some some multimedia that how much they can charge for MP3. They can decide not to charge for it. They can charge whatever they like and put some kind of royalty or licensing program in place, and that's how they can operate. Yeah. <clears throat> Here's a low-level engineering approach, which I now hope you will forget if you, when you graduate and you start your companies and go working in a bigger company. <clears throat> Recently, I migrated my, comp my company, okay? So this guy is running a company. Must be a small company. Red Hat Linux is an old post. And try to play an MP3 file, there is a message License issue. Can anybody advise me to fix this problem? It's a technical problem, right? Sorry, you can't fix license issues. Meanwhile, though, you can go to some other site and download. I, I guess this is an MP3 encoder or decoder or, or something this guy was looking for. Easy without paying those royalties to some of the multimedia. So there's always an alternative. Somewhere there's a site, there's a pirate bay where you can get what you need without paying. But if you're running your company, I wouldn't advise going that route for too long. If you build your own product and include something in there where the IP rights are not clear, you run into problems if you become successful. But of course, as long as you're running your computers here in this university, in your dorm room and so on, please go to Pirate Bay, please go to XMMSS Organ, whatever, and try all the stuff. And actually this guy who gave the answer is wrong. You can fix license issues. You can go to this website and buy the license. 
But okay, he was just giving technical advice. Technically, you can't fix license issues. It's not a technical problem. Now, what's this? Entertain. Hey, it was developed in this university years ago. Ah, what is this guy saying? Yeah, he's sending a message to one open source project. Open SSH. Who is using Tech Yourself? Yeah, you all know what this is. All right. He's claiming this time not patent, not copyright, but trademark. This is a good claim. How is SSH doing today? It's a successful company. Anybody know? No, not successful company. Why? What happened? Yeah, this open SSH. And this is what this guy tries to do nine years ago when the open source became successful. It is the right approach. What do you think? I think it's too late. Yeah, you're correct. It was too late. Was it correct? Change the name. The name has not been changed. I don't know. There was no legal case. What was the business mistake this guy did? Why did he lose the market to the open source? It's not a legal issue, but what is the, actually it's part of the legal issue. What is the biggest, biggest business mistake done by SSH in 1990? Why they lost the sector sale market? Why they don't own it anymore? Why it's open source? Yes. Actually, there were patents in that technology. They paid the licenses. There are some patents which are part of this uh, SSH protocol. I'm not sure if SSH owned those patents. This is RSA algorithm patents. But maybe the patent was expired. Patents were not the issue anyway. I think the biggest business mistake they made was that they did not release their software in open source. The biggest business mistake is visible here. This guy, guy is trying to sue open source, use legal threats in wrong way. This is the wrong way to use the law. This is how you use the law when you are losing. They should have left this open source version active and uh, available and uh, then they should have sold the commercial version on top of that. They should have never let this open source have its own life. It should have been inside the company. 
this is my opinion. Maybe I'm wrong. But I'm doing it, it today in this company, Tuxer. We have an open source project. It must be inside the company. We will never let it out. You have to manage the IP, the copyright in your code. You don't want the copyright to go open source. Uncontrolled way. And yes, you should have patented as much as possible of, of SSA, how it were a secure cell around it to say, don't do it, we will do it. We will license it to you. Because you can have a commercial license and a free version. You choose for different uses. Yeah. They just had a trademark and they went against open source and they went too late. Now they are selling something very different. I don't even know what they are selling. Who knows what the SSH is selling? They are not selling SSH, but something very different. Who knows what they are selling? Okay, this guy is from SSH. <laughs> sorry, sorry about that. I won't pass any more any companies. Let us go forward. Yeah, this, this case was closed. What is here? What do you think of this, this approach? Who uses pirate software? Who doesn't use pirate software? I don't believe you. How is it possible? Did you say you don't use pirate software? Do you know what is pirate software? Okay, everybody uses pirate software. Yeah. What do you think of piracy? You are losing a lot of jobs, right? Okay, this is part of the political discussion. The intellectual property rights and their use is something you should learn and study. But from this kind of studies, you don't know about the use of intellectual property rights. This is totally political stuff. Not based on any facts. Here's the other perspective. Again, totally political discussion. But it's sometimes interesting to read about it. Yeah, this is the open source force, written by Richard Stallman. Always use the word piracy. New shot terms such as prohibited copying or unauthorized copying are available for use instead. Some of us might even prefer to use a positive term such as sharing information with your neighbor. Sharing is caring. <coughs> right. But yes, these legal issues are also like a uh, Moral issues for many people, but they must be separated, of course. What do you think? Should this peer-to-peer -peer sharing with your neighbors be legalized? Peer-to-peer -peer sharing of popular music and TV shows and Movies. Yes, because 
Are you a member of the Pirate Party? Okay. Actually, I have no right. Yeah, I understand. Yeah. Who is a member of Pirate Party? <laughs> yeah, no. Yeah, tell some who even, even publicly disclosed it. So you know everything about this discussion. What is the party line? What is the party line? On sharing information with your neighbor. Peer-to-peer -peer sharing. It should be legalized or what is the party line? It should be legalized for private use. For private use, okay. Makes sense. Yeah. It's political discussion. Hey, related question. What if you start a software company that uh, develops peer-to-peer -peer software? Or you start to sell, let's say, set-top boxes, digital TV sets, which run Linux, and also have built-in file-sharing software that automatically goes to Pirate Bay or some other site. Is that illegal? What do you think? I've seen many set-top boxes from Asian countries who actually these days have peer-to-peer -peer clients installed and ready to be used with your remote control. What do you think? Is it legal or not? If you compare it with the file That's a good question. Yeah, I guess you're right. You can't criminalize peer-to-peer. -peer. You can criminalize this kind of active uh, active promotion of piracy uh, or whatever you call it, sharing information with your neighbor. So I think you can sell these set-top boxes with peer-to-peer -peer clients pre-installed. But if you start marketing your set-top box with a wrapper, which doesn't huge front screen, uh, screenshots from the Pirate Bay and say that with this set-top box you, have, you can have all the movies and music in the world free of charge. And you give a very detailed instruction on how to use Pirate Bay. At that point you may be in the illegal side. But just having the software in your set-top box is not illegal as such. 
So you have to be careful how you actually implement it and how you market that you have this feature in there. And yes, as individuals, you are infringing the copyright law when you share with your neighbor. Yeah. Do you know somebody that has been sued for peer-to-peer? -peer? No. I guess it's then not that often that it happens. I've been in the court many times to defend these guys. We have three cases in the Supreme Court in Finland. There was a big peer-to-peer site called FinReactor back in the early 2000s. It was taken down 2004. Now we are in the Supreme Court. The decision should come out in a month or two. It's technically identical to the Pirate Bay, the Swedish site. So it's a torrent tractor. Interesting case. I don't know what the outcome is. We lost the first two rounds, but we managed to get it to the Supreme Court. So there's a chance of winning it. We will have precedent on, on sharing information with your neighbor. Okay. That was the main, main content of this lecture. Now I have some uh, bit more dual slides which are mostly text, no more pictures. But if you want to know more about intellectual property and what comes next, I, I recommend you, you to take some of these legal courses offered. Starting from the introductory course next fall and then maybe this advanced course which is in the spring term. So here's, in very short order, brief introduction to intellectual property rights and their use in the context of software engineering or, or computing. So what is included in intellectual property rights from legal perspective? First, you have copyright. What is copyright in software is any original piece of source code or the compiled object code. What does this original mean? That's not defined in law but in legal cases. You have a lot of case law on that, what is original enough. And it depends on the context. Sometimes even one line of source code is original enough to be copyrightable. I think you can do a space invaders game in one line. At least it was possible in 1980s with those basic languages of home computers. I remember that very well. That's definitely copyrightable. But the Hello World program with some modern or some C, C, C compiler where you use like a, even this much of code, that's not copyrightable. It's too, too common and obvious. That's only one way to do it in a right way. The owner of the copyright is the author. It's always an individual. But if you work for a company, then your employee gets the copyright by the law. And usually your employment agreement says that the company has the copyright. If you're a smart guy, you develop something you want to use later on, you agree on a shared copyright with your employer. What copyright means is that 
you have to ask permission to copy this to put and modify anything which is under copyright. And usually what you do, you have a license, which is the limited right to copy, modify, distribute the original piece of software, which is under a copyright. There are some moral rights in copyright, that's a separate area. These are called economic rights, copying, distribution, and modification rights. Moral rights include that you have to give credit to the author. You have to mention the individuals who have developed the program, According what is normal in or standard practice in uh, software development. Now, in addition to this rights of the author, there are also some so-called user rights or limitations to copyright. In software, you have by law. These are defined in copyright act. Also, apply in the other countries in Europe also apply in the United States. The same rules, CTS rules. <clears throat> There's a European directive on software copyright and the U.S. copyright law is pretty much in par with the European copyright law details in these matters. You have the right to make a backup copy from legally obtained software. You can reverse engineer, decompile code to study how it works even make sure that your own program is compatible with the one you decompiled. And there's interesting little detail, uh, which is under intense political discussion and has been for the last few years. If there's copy protection on software, you can crack it if it's needed for you to make a backup copy or to study how the program works or any other user rights. To exercise your user right. There's an exception in copyright law. You can crack or DRM, a copy protection system. But this only applies to software as defined in law. If it's some other copyrightable work, such as a musical composition, MP3 file, or MP3 files don't have a DRM, but music file, video file, some content, text, then you cannot crack the DRM system or copy protection, that's illegal. But if it's software, you can crack it, crack it. And the reason is that this rule is from 1991 or 92. And this newer rule on, on, of illegal cracking of, uh, of content is from 2006. And the politics have changed. It's just a small detail. But, yeah, some people are interested in these details. Now, it's actually a good, good argument that, uh, yeah, well, one of the cases I litigated was this <coughs> case where these few guys, uh, four or five years ago, went to the police station after this status law amendment, which says now that, okay, you, know, you cannot crack DRM in content, in music, videos, text. The guys went to the police station here and said, okay, now we are distributing this circumventing code on the internet. This case is called organized discussion, organized on the case in Finnish. It was run by one hacker from <coughs> University of Helsinki. 
I think he's also a member of this pirate party. Guy called Mikko Rauhala. You can Google him. <coughs> and he was sure with one other guy, and we lost two 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 rounds, district court and appeals, and uh, didn't get to the Supreme Court. That is another case ongoing, and <coughs> that's in the appeals court. And we tried to get it to the European Court of Human Rights, and now we are not not stopping the case yet. But for some reason we lost. We tried to use the argument that actually what was distributed is uh, it's a source code. How to circumvent the copyright protection and it was a <coughs> DRM on DVDs and actually DVDs you can you can look at them as software. It's not just the movie content in there, but it's all DRM stuff and DVDs how modern movies work. They, they are basically software from one perspective, and how you play it, you need a software player in there. It's not just like a content. Well, this argument didn't sink in. It was one of the arguments we used. A big difference to copyright <coughs> Another important intellectual property rights is patents is that uh, copyright you get automatically. You just write original code. But for patents, you have to file a patent application and you have to wait several years for it to go through. And this morning I got the quote of 10,000 euros for a software patent. Uh, international. Called PCT application. International application meaning that if I file the application, I pay like 5,000 for the patent agency in Helsinki, and I pay about 5,000 official fees. And after that, I have like, was it 18 months or 24 months, if the application goes through some official examination, then I can choose which countries I want to enforce the patent or have it valid. I would choose United States, some countries in Asia, and maybe Germany and, and United Kingdom in, in Europe, maybe France, I don't know yet. And that will cost more, maybe 2,000 per country. Total cost is about 20,000. 10,000 is the basically starting cost. Having a patent agent, who is, by the way, an engineer, not a lawyer, to write the application and pay the first official fees for the international application. And I can say I have patent pending. The scope of patent is what is claimed, how the patent application is written, and that's why you need an expert to write it. Copyright covers copying, distribution, modification. Patent coverage is wider. It's any kind of professional commercial use of the invention, patented invention as claimed in the patent application. There are some user rights or limitations to patent holders' rights as well, but they are much more limited than in, in copyright law. You have this kind of prior use rights, uh, kind of testing rights, or rights used for private purpose. Anybody can challenge a patent, just file a Opposition to the patent office. 
if you have time and you are interested. This is an important principle, balancing principle, which is basically behind all intellectual property rights, not just copyrights and patents, but also trademarks, design rights, and other intellectual property rights. Okay, you have these rights of the copyright or patent holder, and then you have the rights of the user. The idea is that these are just limited monopolies, limited rights. to advance the society in general. That is the political philosophy behind this whole system of intellectual property rights. Yeah. But the trend has been that there's more and more rights, less free access. This has been the trend in the politics in the recent years. I see no reason why the trend should uh, change. In general, I would say that copyright is still used for actual operation business. You license your copyright and make some sales from your software. This is what you do. But patents can be used more strategically to affect how others operate, how other companies, competitors operate. Also how, let's say, open source people operate, those who use open source, software, open source software. And the importance of patents is growing all the time. So if, if you are working in software, you should start applying patents. That's the general message I want to give to you. Copyright is not enough. But copyright is still the base bone where you start. Yeah, that's just about infringement, how it works. Who infringes whose rights? Like we had the discussion already in the beginning, but uh, you want to start a company, you put Linux in your phone. If Linux infringes somebody's patents, you are infringing them as well. So there's Linux, the original also Linux tool, but then somebody has an infringing contribution to a lot of other developers. You are using it after tons of other people have added or subtracted something in there. You are still infringing. Everybody in that chain are infringing, actually. So the patent holder can sue anyone. Even if between these people and companies and whoever are in the chain, they can agree who bears the least risk, who takes the insurance, who takes the liability. And this is typically part of the agreement. Somebody is taking the liability. But if a suit comes, you can you can sue anyone if you are the holder to rights. Yeah, there's tons of other rights. These are discussed in the in these courses in more detail. <clears throat> just one point about like geographical limits of these rights. Uh, Okay, copyright is quite international because you don't have to register copyright. So you have a copyright for your software you develop here. You have your copyright in the United States and in China as well. And if somebody copies it in the United States or China, it's piracy. As simple as that. And you can go to court in the United States and China with your copyright. But for patents, they are geographical. All these registers rights also applies to design rights. <clears throat> 
<coughs> and register trademarks. You have to apply and register them first and pay some filing fees before they exist in that jurisdiction, that geographical area, and then you can go to court. But okay, copyright is different. You have copyright automatically everywhere. Yeah, this is about the ethics we discussed already. An important aspect, but different from law. Moral opinions and ethical issues. Okay, how these rights are being used, this is also in the introduction already, but in general you have a lot of contracts and agreements. Not just these licenses and royalty agreements, although they are the fee for many companies and generate the big business. Uh, if you want to run your own software company and uh, you go to work for a bigger company and uh, get to some higher position, you have to start taking uh, agreements into account. You will start negotiating these agreements yourself. Lawyers are not negotiating the agreements, but engineers are. Lawyers may give you some input for the agreements if you work for a big company. But if you're an engineer, you actually end up in many cases to negotiate the details of the agreement. Because you know the technology, you know what is being bought or sold. <clears throat> in the fourth course, we discussed and studied these different agreements with our own. Yeah, just for the list of what kind of things need to be accurate typically if you run a software project. Okay, this takes away from intellectual property to more practical legal issues or, or contractual <coughs> issues. And there's a lot of contract te templates which can be used in many cases. But you have to know what is in those templates. It's not advisable to take a template from the internet without knowing what is inside. Same thing as in the context of intellectual property. It's not a way advisable for a company to take source code so from somewhere you found it, source source or Google code, without knowing what you're doing. Yeah. Now, this, this li license, licensing, license does not particular contracts, specific kind of contracts. As I mentioned, for many companies, licenses are the real beef of, of software business, and in my opinion, this is the most important form of software contract, <coughs> license agreement. And this is the type of uh, agreement we study most in the full term course as well. <coughs> I think this is the last slide. Uh, what do I have here? Yeah, don't spend money on lawyers. Uh huh. Okay. Avoid court cases at all costs. Okay. Yeah, I think the point is that <clears throat> all these legal issues can be solved, and you don't need the lawyer in the first place. If you're smart enough, you study. Study these legal issues enough so you don't have to call your lawyer all the time. Taking a lawyer in business negotiations or some 
infringing case may sometimes be very harmful for everybody. <clears throat> the lawyers want to charge the hourly rate, they want to make a small problem a big problem because they benefit from it. Believe in me, I, I've been trying to do it myself as well in the past. But I don't do it anymore. It doesn't make any sense. It's not good for the society. That said, these are these are important things, but uh, learn your rights and learn how to how to use them so you don't need to call your lawyer. Or you call your lawyer when you really need it. Yeah, that was the last slide. If you have any questions, I can answer them and if not and you want to study more, you can come to these courses or study yourself. Okay. Thank you, Mikko. Se on niin kuin se tauko siinä. Tulee oppilaita. Tuo on ne slaidit vielä, eikä tässä mitään. Joo, mulla on ne tossa, niin mä saan ne sitten nettiin.